Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crockcast Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and today I'm joined by uh, Mr. Mike Easter. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Nate. Thank you very much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So, uh, Mike, you want to get us started off on kind uh, of what you do with reptiles? Yeah. So right now, I I co-own Satu Reptiles and Aquatics. It's um, an exotic uh, pet store, essentially in the Greater Cleveland area, and that's that is what I spend most of my time doing. It is a full-time job. So, uh, how do you first uh, get into reptiles, and how did you uh, eventually uh, come around to starting up your own business? Excuse me. Well, getting into reptiles, it's kind of the same story as as most people. When I was a kid, I was always just you know looking for stuff, catching stuff. Reptiles always intrigued me. I actually don't really know what caused me to be interested like no one in my family liked them none of my friends um i mean they tagged along and they did it with me but none of them like pushed me into it so it must have just been something innate and then i was into it and it just kind of blossomed from there the more and more i got into it the more and more i got involved in other you know other things that allowed me to learn more about them and then it just kind of took off from there but but yeah so i was into it as a kid but i don't really know what what I guess really what intrigued me in that direction. And then I would say what really kind of shot me to another, another level of, of the, the interest was our family always went to trips to Florida on spring break and we drove down. It was actually just a guide trip, which is, which was nice. And me and my cousin, Tim, who is the co-owner of, of Satu, we would go down there and just spend all of our time really just looking for reptiles um and that was always awesome so i was into them those florida trips kind of sparked even more of an interest and that's when i really started to realize man i gotta just be all in on on the world of reptiles uh where in florida did you uh go on those spring breaks we went a couple of well a few different mainly um the tampa area st petersburg okay we spent most of our time because we had family in in that area and we would just go down and visit, stay with them. There's a couple of times I think we went to Fort Myers. It was like our, our grandparents had a condo there. I don't know. Any way we could get down there, we would. And we'd spend like six or seven days there. It was awesome. I mean, it would, even just as a kid catching and seeing like a Knolls and Gecko, stuff that you never see up here in Ohio is, it's like, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so what led you to starting up uh, Satu? Well, this is kind of, it's kind of interesting. It's a long story, but so I lived, I grew up in, in Cleveland. I lived, but then I moved to Miami, Florida for 10 years. And I was there for 10 years um, doing a, all animal stuff, you know, you name it. I, I was probably involved in it. And from there, I moved to Louisiana to start some sort of a wildlife type of business there. And I was there for about a year and it just didn't work out. It was kind of it just didn't work out. And from then I was kind of just mentally exhausted, just drained from the whole thing. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go back to Ohio and kind of regroup. I came back and at that point I had thought I had, I had kind of built a decent enough resume by no means a great resume that would maybe allow me to get an interview like the zoo. You know, I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'll go to the zoo. They can see some of the stuff I've, you know, I've done or, or animals I've interacted with. I felt like, in this area, in the Cleveland area, maybe it was, at least it stuck out a little bit. 
but to no avail. They they wouldn't. I wouldn't even get. An, I couldn't get an interview. I couldn't get a response. They really just didn't have any interest. So I was just doing odd end jobs. I think I, I did like, uh, like landscaping, spray foam insulation, painting, just like lousy kind of you know labor work. But yeah, I thought to myself, okay, I've got to get involved in animals. I've got to make a living. What can I do? And at that same time, Tim, the co-owner, was living in Texas, and he moved back, unrelated to what was going on. But he moved back. I was already back for about six or seven months. He loves reptiles. I mean, he was involved in the in the medical field in, in a couple of different ways, but he was into reptiles. We kind of just got together like, hey, what can we do? Or like, what do you want to try to get into? And I was like, well, there's no there's no exotic reptile shops in the area. And I know there's a need for them. There used to be a place in in Parm, like an area, there was like a well-known reptile spot that had closed down. So we just thought, all right, well, let's give it a shot. We know there's a need for it. No, we know people love you know, reptiles and it's it's pretty niche, but so anyway, long story short, him coming home, me getting, you know, just kind of looking for something to do to be involved still in reptiles and 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 making a living. We just decided, hey, let's give it a shot and let it. Let's run with it. And that's, that was six years ago. So it's been going on for about six years. Nice. So uh, is there anything uh, in particular that Satsu specializes in, in terms of reptiles? We try to pre, we, we try to stay pretty diverse just to, to satisfy everybody's, you know, kind of quirky needs. Um, but we do everything. I mean, we'll, we will do the basic stuff, the bearded dragons, leopard geckos, corn snakes, all the, the basic stuff that are great. Um, Captive stuff, or like, begin, yeah, just like, but then we we go as far as doing, um, you know, like the bigger like like monitors and exotic snakes. We we do bring in from different parts of the world that allow us to to offer some pretty unique and different animals. So from basic to crazy obscure, we we've kind of dealt with it all. So I wouldn't say there's a specialty, but we we do have the ability to get our hands on, on most things if people have interest. Yeah, I actually got a pair of uh, scrub pythons from there, so. Dude, I, you know, when your name came up, when you messaged me, I was like, that name looks familiar. It's kind of, it's a unique last name. Thank you. And, and I was like, I think he's, I think he's been here. I think he's bought stuff. And, and now you bring that up in the scrub Python thing. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that totally makes sense. I hope you still have them. Yeah, I do. Good. Okay. Oof. I thought it was going to be like a, like an ambush. Like, yeah, actually they all died in two days and you guys owe me money. <laughs> But no, no but no. but yeah. So so you, your name did um, look familiar, and now you're bringing that up. I'm like, yeah, totally. You, I mean, I'm glad you 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 shot with us, and I'm glad you got a nice pair of snakes. Yeah, I'm hoping to breed them uh, maybe next year or two. So that'd be awesome. No one's really doing that. So hopefully you can get get a grip on that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So um, you recently got more. I'm not sure they got more, but seem to have expanded your uh, aquatic selection as well. You want to go talk about that? Yeah. As well? So it's not my specialty. We do have, um, we have a, so Tim and I are the owners. He, um, he kind of handles more of the business side. I'm more of the animal side. Then we have a couple managers, uh, Preston and Mike. I don't know if you're at the shop and met any of them, but uh, our one guy, Preston, is such, he's an aquatics guy. And when he started working for us, he, um, he had come from another shop that was specializing in aquatics and he, he kind of talked us into getting into them and we knew that that it was a uh, it was cool like it, people like fish and they're awesome but we didn't really know how to do it ourselves because we just didn't have the knowledge yeah. and we were kind of spread a bit thin anyway so we're thinking oh if you want to do it go ahead and he's kind of he's launched that part of the business 
and it's a nice supplemental um, part of the shop. That's that's a cool experience where people think reptiles. Then there's also the fish, and we do the invertebrates. So we're, we try to be as well-rounded as possible while still being very kind of exotic and unique. But we've gotten into fish now for about two years, maybe maybe a little more. And it's cool. I love. It. I still don't know. <laughs> I don't know nearly as much about them as I should, but I'm fascinated by them. Yeah. So, uh, in terms of your reptiles, uh, do you only uh, bring stuff from the outside, or do you do any in-house breeding with? Any of your animals yeah so we do a lot of breeding we do as much as we can um i mean again with the basic stuff stuff that's somewhat somewhat easy to breathe the bearded dragons ball pythons corn snakes all that stuff we do breed um but some of the projects that i i indulge into more so like, like mangrove snakes i breed prebos um prebos well, nice yeah we just this past few weeks we got three different clutches from prebos so we do really well with those um, Asian species, South American and Central American. Like I, I love animals from there, so I always try to kind of be specific with that and specialize in those. So we breed of that kind of unique stuff, mainly mainly snakes when it comes to the outside stuff. Um, but yeah, so anything from the basic stuff. But we've had some cool breeding projects uh, that we've worked on that have been pretty successful overall. And um, really, that that excites me the most is doing that weird stuff that not a ton of people do for the breeding wise. And uh, do you keep any animals uh, there that you don't really keep for uh, sale, but you just keep for fun, more or less? Yeah. So we, you're, I mean, you're from Ohio. You probably know the permitting system is pretty yeah. complex. But we, but I do have a permit for venomous and for for crocodilians. So we do have both. Now you can't, well, you can't sell the crocodilians because the permit they issue is just a, it's considered a rescue permit. You can keep yeah. them, you can do what you want with them in terms of display for the most part, as long as you follow the guidelines, but you can't sell like anything aside from the dwarf. Because... Yeah, the dwarf caiman, there's there's no relation. You can, you can sell those, but the other stuff we plan on getting on display in the shop, hopefully within the next, I feel like I've been saying a few months for like the last two years, but but we want to do that. There, I mean, there are a couple of five foot alligators, like a five foot croc um, that are down. They're off display right now. And then we have venomous for the most part. It's just when I moved from Florida, I brought these up. I had all this stuff in Florida yeah. and moving back. I called the state when they, and I said, Hey, I'm bringing these. Like, you just tell me what I have to do and, and let me know. And they were, they worked really well with me and they, um, they just kind of gave me the guidelines and I, and I did it. So, these are animals that I had with me for, for a long time, for the most part, and brought them up, have them still, and uh, work with them off-site. And they're, you know, not on display, but hopefully the gators and croc will in, um, in the near future. Uh, what type of croc is the one you have? More or less. Oh, nice. Yeah. Super crazy. I mean, <laughs> the get, I mean the, these are all the things I've raised since hatchlings. And the, the gators are, I mean, gators are pretty cool. Like, obviously, you don't want to... Yeah. Let your guard down. Yeah, but you go in there and then clean the enclosure, just kind of like, yeah, I don't care what you're doing. You walk into that croc enclosure, that thing charges, it jumps. I don't know what I've done wrong to it. I thought I've treated it pretty well, to be honest with you, but she does not care. And she just goes, she's out for blood every time I try to, when I enter in there, but really a cool animal. Yeah. So uh, what sort of uh, venomous stuff do you have? So, well, when we bring in um, some of our, our animals from over, 
you know, across the world. We do, we will bring in a select bit of venomous that we, we sell. Again, we can sell to people who are permitted or outside of the state if it's, you know, you go through all, everything we have to do. But personally, I'm a big king guy, king cobras. I've got three monsters. Um, some monocled cobras. I have a cool uh, cottonmouth project, like a, they're morphs. So, you know, morphs are like... What's really that? Like Tom Mouth Morse existed. Yeah, it's just albino. It's not like anything crazy, but I just something struck my interest when I I saw those as babies and I and I snagged those. So I personally only keep a handful of stuff, um, and anything else that comes in is typically something that's available to, you know, people that are capable. Yeah, yeah. So kind of my end goal dream is to start uh, like a reptile park here in Ohio. Okay, so, nice. Basically, it's more or less an excuse to keep crocodilians, but yeah, dude. I mean, no, no doubt about it. Definitely, I've always, I've always been impressed and people with their enthusiasm to do stuff like that, because you know the the sales side of what I do is it's cool. Like I'm so thankful for the store and what I'm able to do and, and make a living and be around these animals. But something more like a, an educational park or a facility in which people can come and see unique stuff is much more of what I kind of envisioned or I, I appreciate much more just because it's, it allows people to, to kind of learn more and interact more with stuff. And there's the business side's kind of pushed aside, which can be a very kind of like a, a moral dilemma type of thing when you're selling reptiles and sometimes you don't know who you're selling them to and you're just trying to do your best to keep them getting to the right people and you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So a facility would be awesome. There's really nothing like that in, in the state that's somewhat small but private where people you know can really get can dive into some stuff then there's zoos but zoos are very limited yeah and usually they're pretty broad and kind yeah of hard right everything in one day yeah so. i always i look at those types of like facilities and, and, and wildlife parks as awesome opportunities for people to get a little more up close and see i mean sometimes i've been to zoos before where i, I don't want to sound like you know in a certain way but like i'm just not sometimes impressed with their their lineup of, of reptiles. Yeah. You know, and, and you're like, some of, some of them are really cool. I've been to quite a lot of zoos and some zoos are amazing. Some maybe just don't focus on, on the reptile aspect of it as much, but more so when I've been to like private facilities or, or wildlife parks or sanctuaries, I'm much more blown away. So, so yeah, dude, good luck. I hope, I hope you can accomplish that. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah I might have to reach out to you and ask for advice on getting, permits for those yeah dude i've you know there's not a ton of people permit in the state um but i'm happy to help whenever i can whoever i can it's um again it's the department of agriculture they, they they're cool i mean some people have said whatever about but i i've never had a problem they work with me very well and if you just do what you're supposed to and what you ask they're like they're really cool to work with so yeah dude if you have, if you have any questions give me a shout i'm happy to help oh thanks that'd be really helpful yeah so yeah but me personally, what I want to kind of do is model it after a, a place I interned at called uh, Crocodile Counter down in Angleton, Texas. I've heard of it. Um, actually, there's a few places down there, isn't there? There's a few places. I've actually worked at two different places, both in that kind of two-hour area, drive from okay. each other. So. I, it sounds familiar. I've, I've, I've actually never – I don't know if I've ever – I've been to Texas only one time, and it was – it was for a bachelor party. So I didn't really get around to any reptile parks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like 45 minutes south of downtown Houston. But Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, like I said, I've, I've been there a few times, actually. The co-owner, Tim, when he, he lived in Texas for a bit, and I've 
visit him a couple times, went there for to kind of do my own thing, but never got around to seeing the, the wildlife side of some of those places. And, and I heard there's some nice ones. Yeah. So um, speaking of crocodilians, uh, you mentioned her before we started that you'd help with some uh, research with American crocs in Costa Rica. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that is something I, I've, I've been so fortunate to do. I, I've, I've kind of written the coattails and tagged along with a really good friend of mine is um, Dr. Chris Murray. He's a professor at Southeastern and we met in South Florida at a wildlife refuge. This would have been now probably 15 years ago, maybe even a little more. He was from New York. He traveled there just to volunteer for the summers and hang out and get experience. And I was doing the same when I was living there. We met there, just kind of hit it off and stayed in touch. And then he was, you know, like a rocket ship in the world of academia from his you know, undergrad to master's to PhD. And it was always crocodilian related, whether it was alligators or crocs. And he always allowed me to kind of tag along and I was, and he did all of his work down in Costa Rica on crocs from, from the beginning of his master's, I believe all the way until it's still continuing. So it's been 10, 10 plus years. And I've been kind of like his, his field tech, just helping him along the way and learning as much as I can along the way. And it's been an awesome experience. Crocs, even unrelated to Crocs, just going there and experiencing everything else that it happens. I think we've been, I've been there now maybe 20 something times. Nice. Yeah. Love so, it there. Uh, so what's, what all do you uh, do when you're down there? You just like research related or? Yeah. To, yeah. So originally, and I, I hope I'm getting all this stuff in order, right? His, his research was based on a, a male bias in, the, in this area we were at, like way too many males to females, and that's not natural. It was something, something was causing it. We had kind of figured out, first off, was there a bias, and then what was causing it? And there was. It was like, gosh, I hope I'm saying this, maybe three, three to one, three males to one female. Yeah, which is like, it, it's, that's obviously not, not, not right. So what was happening was when there's so many males, and they're only coming out, males have their own territories, right? Females yeah. can hang out together, no problem. Males, they get big, they separate. And it was kind of imposing on human beings. You know, they had nowhere to go but go into, you know, where humans were, into their farms and their ponds. And it was causing obvious problems, you know. Yeah. People were being attacked, unfortunately, but people were also killing the crocs. So the male bias caused this. And then for his PhD, I believe it was, we had to figure out what was causing it. And... I mean, it was crazy. The results were amazing. I mean, it, uh, long story short, what it came out to be was, I think I, I think I'm allowed to say this. I think it's all published now, but it was um, testosterone called MT that tilapia farms were feeding to their fish. Huh. So, and they do this because the fish gets get bigger. They get a bigger fish yeah. out of it. They sell for more money. It's like that. But the crocs were getting into the farms and eating the fish. So they were eating the fish, they were going back into the wild, and this MT was stored very, very well in, in like the lipids and the fats of the croc. Yeah. And the females were passing it on to the babies. And so it doesn't even matter on the uh, temperature. It'll just Exactly. So they are, so crocs are TSD, temperature, sex, determination. And we, we tried to figure out, okay, well, let's go on. So we, we would find nests, we put eye buttons in the nest, and we would take temperatures of the nest throughout all of incubation. And there'd be nests that would, based on temperature, should have been majority female or at least half and half. But we'd, we'd capture the nest, we'd go back, capture them, sex them all, all males. So like, okay, this is bizarre. And, the, and then we would take the blood and we were finding the MT in the blood of the crocs. 
So that MT was overriding any factor that should have been pushing the animal to be a, a certain sex. So it's crazy. It's wild. It's like really amazing just to kind of find that out. And it's really practical research. It's really cool because it mattered to the, the area. Like you just can't have these male, these crocs were overtaking resident residential areas. You call it residential, but because, you know, there's a snowball effect from what was going on at these farms and um, just really cool research that I was lucky to be a part of. Yeah. It's really interesting. Kind of a direct effect that uh, using uh, hormones and stuff like that yeah. can have on the environment. Huge. Yeah. And I, and I, I would assume this happens elsewhere and with other animals. I mean, it's definitely not up our, our, our alley to, to check that out, but with Crocs, it was, it was very definitive. It was pretty, um, pretty obvious. And just, it is, it's amazing how that type of stuff can affect an animal that can then affect you know people. And just, that is, um, really awesome. So I've, so I've, I've still, we're still involved in that. We just kind of continue on with, with that. And it's, it's a very, you know, research is hard as it is, but then when you find something like that, to implement some sort of like legislation or, Hey, can we change this? It is like, it's almost, it's tough. You know what I mean? So I don't know in the end what can be done or what, I know it should be done, but I don't know what's going to be done. Um, but the more and more research and the more and more facts and data you can show the better. So we'll continue on, but I've had a blast doing it. I mean, just catching, catching crocs in the middle of Costa Rica is like, yeah, I, I mean, I, I shouldn't be doing that. I have a, I have a degree in criminal justice. I shouldn't be out there doing research in Costa Rica and crocodiles. So I've just been fortunate with a lot of people along the way that have, you know, allowed me in. Yeah. So, um, did you do any like, uh, herping or anything like that outside of? Yeah, de definitely. I mean, I, I love the crocs, but like any chance we get, you know, cause we, sometimes we'd catch crocs during the day, we'd have the night free and then vice versa. We would do night captures and during the day we'd have free. And it all meant like we'd always go in the springtime and it was up on the border of the rainy season. So in the dry season, Costa Rica, it is bone dry. Like you, it is hard to see, find any type of reptile. Like once in a blue moon, you find the state. Once the rains come though, it is like a flood of, of reptiles, amphibians, everything. So I've had the pleasure of being there during kind of both times. And we've herped, I mean, just some really cool, I mean, like, um, like tiger rat snakes we found, we found Kribos, um, like the South American rattlesnake, um, the burrowing python, which is one of my favorite, like super hard to find, pretty hard to find, but tons of frogs, um, lots of uh, like their version of water snakes, which I guess to them is probably boring, but it was awesome for me. Um, there's uh, like these snail eating snakes that are in the trees all over the place that are really cool. Found some vine snakes. Just, yeah. So I, I've been able to find a lot of, when the time is right, finding Reptiles down there is relatively easy. I mean, it's hard no matter what, but but I've had a chance to do that, and we found some really cool stuff. Yeah. So you've ever been herping anywhere uh, outside of Costa Rica? Well, when I lived in Florida, I herped all the time. I was down in Miami for 10 years and um, did a ton of, like, herping around the Everglades and road cruising, and and that was awesome. Aside from that, I really, I really haven't been too many other places in, in herp, to be honest. Been, yeah. Central America and South Florida, and actually different parts of Florida, but like, I mean, what else do you need? I'd like to go out. I would love to go out west, the Southwest, yeah. and see all the, all those reptiles. Would be is kind of one of my next goals, which is not not too difficult to get out there, but finding time is hard. But yeah, so I've I've yeah. heard those areas mostly, and 
again, it was found awesome stuff there too in Florida. Yeah. As I say, time is most valuable and scarce resource. Yeah, it sure is. It waits for no one. Yeah. Um, so uh, with Satsu, do you like uh, do any partnerships with any uh, researchers or anything like that? At, at the moment, no. I mean, we've kind of, a, we've had the affiliation through Dr. Murray and Southeastern for the CROC research that has, has kind of helped, you know, give and take at the beginning. Um, we hel helped out a bit there and, you know, obviously it helps, helps build a little bit of credibility to be involved in that type of stuff. But as of recent or anything new, not really. I mean, I'm, I'm open to it for sure. You know, anything I can get involved in in the world of research to help people, I'm, I'm all in for. All right. Um, so, a bit of a switch into the subject, but uh, what would you say is the most unusual or rare animal you've ever had uh, pass through your shop? Man, I've, you know, I've had people ask me that. And I guess the hard thing to say about that, at first, maybe it's super rare for me. And then I'll see it come through another four or five times. I'm like, oh, it's kind of rare, but. You know, I've seen it. There's really nothing that's been that's come through where I say, wow, no one else has ever seen this or no one else can get their hands on this. I have stuff like we've had a few croc monitors, which is, is again, people that kind of been coming in a little bit more over the past few years. But that was awesome for me. I was I was blown away to get the first one in. It was it's pretty big and like their intelligence and their personalities like really cool. So that's kind of top of the list of, of something very rare and unique at least it was for me at first i still i'd say it still is kind of you know unique to a lot of people and we had that on display for a bit at our when we at our first shop and people loved it uh, but we, we did end up selling that um after a bit uh yeah man it's it's, it's hard to say because there's a lot of stuff that many people haven't seen that they'd say i can't believe i'm seeing this and i would say well I thought the same thing, you know, years ago, and now I see them every few weeks. So it's hard to, it's a relative, I guess it's a relative thing. Yeah. You know, but treat like a lot of monitors, I'm always very intrigued by and kind of blown away when we do get certain ones and treat monitors, like I said, proc monitors, those are always really cool. And I'm always very excited, no matter how many times those come in. Um, and some of the snakes we get in from like Southeast Asia, sometimes they'll come in. I guess a better answer to your question is, Sometimes it's stuff that's somewhat common that comes in in a weird form, whether it's like patternless or striped or, you know, anything that's just a, I don't want to call it a morph, but some sort of variation. Or like a locality or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like we'll get emerald tree bows in that are like patternless or, huh. um, yeah, like, like they have the, they call it an anaconda phase with dots all over it. We'll get those in and those are, that's really cool. That's not that common. Um, so when those weird things come in, that's that's some of the stuff I'd consider the more more rare that, that comes yeah. through the show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm kind of interested in starting up an emerald tree boa breeding project for a while now. So yeah, I it's awesome if you could. I I haven't been able to figure those out. I mean, very few people have. Well, I shouldn't say few. People do. Um, I think with those people are just very impatient. From the time of like, you know, I think they have to be a little bit older than people think in order to breed. And then like breeding and gestation, it takes forever. And I think people are just like, all right, I give up, you know, yeah. but that's rewarding. That's awesome. I mean, a few people that have had litters of them, it's, it's, it's awesome. So again, I'd recommend it if you, if you want to get into it and you have the time, really cool species in general, easy, easy to care for. They have a bad reputation, but they're 
and the right setup there people are afraid of them even like wild caught ones but i've had great luck with them and i would totally recommend them to the people who are really interested that don't be too afraid of stuff that's maybe imported if you're ready to, to care for it in the right way yeah yeah but uh speaking of animals that maybe not are rare but kind of unusual to see at least in the hobby i noticed like for like a few months there you had like a uh, new world bur burrowing python available yeah yeah uh, so i've really seen those in the hobby before so well the reason i i'm kind of keen to those because like i was saying those are the ones i found in costa rica before and yeah. i first found one of those maybe like seven or eight years ago and they're really pretty they're, they're not like super big or that striking but I, I just came across one it was actually speaking of like the rainy season it was the first night of a huge rain there and it was just like stuff was all over the place. That's when we found found that. Um, and I've always been really interested in those. So I do have a, a couple pair of my own that aren't, actually they don't breed until like 10 years old. It's kind of crazy. Mm. Yeah, so I've got a couple pair for myself that I'm raising up to breed. And then yeah, we have some, we had some available. I think we may have some, but the, those are awesome. Those are really cool. Those are like, again, very basic caring for, super friendly. Like their look is really cool, and and I've been I've been taken to those over over the years because of Costa Rica. Gotcha. So uh, those are the only pythons native to the New World, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's burrowing pythons out in, in Africa, I believe. Um, sometimes people get those confused, but yeah, it is the only one in the New World. Yeah. So is it is there a way it's very noticeably different from old world pythons, or is it? You mean like quite like kind of old world in general? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're no, so they're super um, fossorial. They're underground, like majority of the time. So their like nose are kind of, what's that? Like a sandbow almost? Kind of like a sandbow. Yeah. They, they have a body structure that's like kind of just thicker and um, they can get like four feet. I mean, they get decent size, bigger than a sandbow, but their noses are kind of lifted up so they can just dig through. I've, I saw one in Costa Rica during a rain once that dug its own hole within a matter of like maybe 25 seconds, bare ground dirt. It was just crawling around. It stopped head down, right down. It was gone within 30 seconds, completely underground. It was amazing. It was crazy. So, so I think their, their locomotion is different than most pythons and their ability to go underground quickly and, and maneuver that way. And obviously they're, they're much smaller than a lot of the, the other pythons, but really an awesome species but yeah i saw that happen once and i was like even more blown away i'm like dude i gotta have some of these yeah so um is there any particular species that you feel particularly proud of for uh having bread i would say i would say mangrove snakes yeah. um it because that's the same i've against like asian species and in the south americans I, i've always really liked and um and cre like crebos and and I would say more so the mangrove snakes. I've bred maybe four different kinds of boiga in general. And those are just, they're not the easiest things to breed. Once you figure them out, they're not too bad. And they're always, people people are intrigued by them. They you don't see them that often, especially the captive born ones. And I just took a liking, liking to them when we first started getting them in. And many people had trouble with them. A lot of them came in not in great shape. So... I like them because they're like huge, arboreal, like nasty snakes. Yeah. And you get a big Malaysian mangrove snake that's like eight feet and just nonstop. It's just really, it's kind of fun. I mean, you don't want to be bitten by them, but 
it's still pretty fun. So I'm proud of like breeding, breeding those has been a really kind of nice um, accomplishment. The Kribos, uh, red tail green rats. I really like, I've read those. Those are also arboreal, right? Those are arboreal from Asia. Uh, again, like probably bigger arboreal stuff, bright emerald green. Just a really cool looking snake. Um, anything else that's kind of odd? I mean, I've bred, I've bred like I bred cobras, which is kind of cool. Not that that's other people have done that, but that was cool. Uh, yeah, I guess that'd be like top of my list. And there's there's things like the puffing snakes from South America that I really like that I would like to breed. Those are a little tougher to to get established, but they're really cool. I don't know if you know what those are, but those are massive, massive colubrids from South America. They're like eight nine feet of just craziness. Yeah. So those are cool. Um, but yeah. Yeah. It's They're huge. They like puff their necks out like really big. And then they so kind of like a, they like a false water cobra then, or. Well, it's not, it's not quite, it's like a huge bloated neck. It's not quite like a flattened okay. hood-esque thing. Um, but they're cool. They, you know, they, they're big, they're nasty. They, they kind of try to kill you sometimes, but that, I've seen some friendly ones actually. So that's a really cool species. Um, that I'd like to to eventually breed. I, I guess I have, as you probably you. It's a bucket list that's a mile long of stuff you'd like to have yeah. breed, and easier said than done. Yeah, uh, I also noticed on uh, yeah on your store available a while ago, uh, Paradise Flying Snakes. Yeah, uh, those those uh, yeah those are cool. So you want to go a little bit about uh, those things, what they're like? Yeah, so those are a little trickier just because they're they're typically lizard eaters and frog eaters. So, you know, people tend to shy away from those. Some people have gotten them onto like rodents and I think that's okay to a certain extent, but really they're lizard eaters and they're, they're fast, they're agile. They need like a, a really large arboreal enclosure. So it isn't just for someone who's like, Hey, I want a cool colorful snake. Let me throw it in a, a 10 gallon. It's just not going to work. But those, those are really cool. And the, the males are like the brightly colored ones, orange reds all the way down the body. The females are just kind of black and green. Um, but those those are cool, and you you put them in a an enclosure. Like eventually, once you, you have them established, you can do a bioactive. You want just trees all over the place, nice lighting. You throw in a colony of of like house geckos, and you're set. Those things will just thrive and, and do awesome for you. And they're great. They're a great display animal after they're established. At first, you don't want to do that because they'll freak out. They're just kind of stressed. But yeah. You get them going. You get them established. You put them in something nice. It's an awesome awesome display animal. Yeah, that's kind of my. Uh dream is why i do start that thing up just have a, a few really cool display species in terms of snakes. yeah and that's that's a great one because that's it's they're diurnal so they're active during the day they're moving if they, like if, if a crowd was coming in or guests that'd be one that they they would see often it wouldn't be hiding too much i mean they'll hide a little bit but they're out and about for a lot of the the daytime so that, that's a good that's a good idea yeah also those uh mangrove snakes would be i always thought they looked really cool and also yeah, no, and those do the they do most of their moving at night. Um, yeah, that's but, all, but they're arboreal, so they'll in a big enclosure they'll perch up like on a branch and just sit there all day and not move, so people could see them. Um, but they do they're they're mostly active at night, and um, but man, they're they're a handful too. But they're awesome. They we've we've had a few that are like huge, like seven eight feet, like big around that could take medium rats. I mean, they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're big, really cool animals. 
see here. Uh, okay. Uh, in terms of, uh, well, circling back to the crocodile monitors, uh, I have a buddy of mine who's really big into monitors, and he used to tell me that, like, way back in the day, croc monitors actually used to be, like, super common on the market. Well, not super common, but fairly common on the market. Yeah. And then they kind of just got shut down for a little while there, so. Yeah, so when it comes to that type of stuff and bringing stuff in from other, other countries, there's, there's quotas, you know, what, what they're allowed to ship out. And I think some animals will get super popular, and they'll just come with a rush yeah. and then the countries will, will take a step back and say, okay, we can't be sending all this over there, you know, and then, it, or cause they don't want to obviously hurt the population either. Yeah. So I feel like it's kind of a, and I've been like a, a roller coaster of certain animals have heavy influx at one point, and then you'll see some years where you don't see them at all. Then we'll go back up and go back down. There's some, there's some animals that when we started were easy to come by and now it's like, you haven't seen them in years and you're thinking, all right, that's fine. Well, I wonder, you know, is it going to go back up in a couple of years? It'll be in. So I think it's just kind of that roller coaster where right now it's, but yeah, so croc monitors did used to come in a bit more frequently and now it's a few at a time, maybe a few per year for certain people. Yeah. Not as common. Yeah. Well, I wonder if that'll ever happen to Nile monitors where their importation will get slowed down. I don't know. Those things so when it comes to that stuff I, I don't i don't necessarily agree with like i mean there's just loads of these things coming in you know yeah and the, the unfortunate truth is so many people are not ready to care for these animals you know yeah um i mean those animals come in by the hundreds if not thousands and they're spread out between distributors and suppliers and you know people come in they're cheap and you know like i said it's kind of one of those another a bit of a moral dilemma at the shop is like People want to buy them, but you do everything you can in your power to say, listen, this is not a friendly monitor. It's going to get huge. You know, like there's better options for you. And some people like, oh, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. And you're just like, I can only do my part to a certain extent. And then you're just like, you just hope you guide them enough to, to do a good enough job. But you know, there's people out there buying them, just have no idea what they're doing. And it's just, it sucks for the animal. You know, there's a lot of animals that suffer due to people buying them for the wrong reasons. And I think that's an animal that... That's a prime example, to be honest with you. And and uh, there's so many that come into those. And I I don't know when, I don't know if that'll ever stop because those are farmed over there and hatched out and there's just loads of them. Yeah. Actually, that uh, monitor guy I mentioned just a bit before, uh, Niles are actually his uh, favorite type of monitor because he actually grew up in uh, West Africa as a missionary. Oh, kid. nice. So he actually go, those were the ones he would go out and catch when he was a kid. So nice. Yeah. There's, there's something about an animal when you've ever experienced in the wild, it always like, there's an imprint mentally where you're like, you always just have something for that animal. Like anything I've ever found, whether it was locally or when I was in Florida or in Costa Rica, no matter what, it always stick with me to be like, have like a special place, you know, even if it's a common animal or like an animal that people consider like a trash animal, whatever it is. You know, when you see stuff in the wild, like what I've seen boas, just normal boas in Costa Rica. And obviously it's like a super common, you know, yeah. snake all the way. Up. But now I see them, I'm like, man, those are awesome. I can't believe I've seen a bunch, like one in trees, one crossing the road. When you see them out in the wild and then it kind of throws you for a loop and you're like, man, these things really should just be in the wild, <laughs> you know? So yeah. it's weird. There's a, it's a weird kind of tug of war when you're, when you have a business, you know, like I'm involved in. Um, so with importing animals from all over the world, uh, 
and also Canterbury and stuff like that. Uh, what sort of a quarantine procedures do you go through? Well, we have I mean, everything. So we, I would say this, when it comes to the import stuff that we, we bring in, we'll keep that separate for X amount of time. We, what we do for quarantine is make sure they're feeding well, they're alert, they appear healthy. We always recommend people to do their own quarantining as well. Do their own parasite treatment if you'd like. We actually will not treat anything for internal parasites unless there's clinical signs because it's pretty stressful. You know, it wipes away good bacteria in their gut. And really what you want to do is just get them established and stress-free um, when you first get them in. So people are like, oh, do you treat them? We're like, well, no, but, you know, there's no, re- you know, there's no signs that lead us to believe it needs to be. However, if you're interested in them and you get them, we fully recommend getting a fecal, taking it to the vet and seeing what you got going, um, yeah. you, you know, on your end. But now anything that comes in that does look bad, we will treat or we'll uh, take a fecal and see what's going on and do it that way. But oftentimes, we, you know, you deal with the right exporters and the right suppliers. You're getting pretty quality animals. There's plenty of people who have bad, bad suppliers. They get them in, they look bad, and they just throw it right out, and they're good to sell it to anybody. And, you know, some people do that, get away with it and teach their own. But um, there is a, there's a procedure and a quarantine, you know, protocol that we'll follow when we get our stuff in personally. Um, it's probably not as long as it, as some people would recommend or should, but we always recommend the buyer to do the same because anything's possible. I mean, captive born animals can have stuff. Wild caught animals can have stuff. We've had people buy our wild, like our imported stuff, take it to a vet and feels have come back 100% clean from yeah. wild caught stuff. So yeah. there's no guarantee one way or another, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Another thing is we don't don't fully uh, know all the rules that stuff that lives in their guts uh, play in their internal biology. Yeah, one hundred percent. There's there's a lot that's very complicated. I think and complex, and I think just broad brushing like the way you should treat an imported animal is wrong. I mean, it, you can even stress it on you know without needing to, and cause it much more harm than good if you're just like I treat everything. I throw panicure down its mouth, and it's good to go. Definitely not the case. So I think it's, there's a gray area where it's almost using your own knowledge and your own experience to know kind of what the right move for a certain animal would be when they come in. And again, anybody who gets an animal like that, that is planning to, to own it full time, like we recommend, of course, going through that procedure, always monitoring it to know, you know, if it does have something or what to do next, but just, just the people who get stuff treated, treated, treated is, more times than not, far far worse on the animal than just leaving it alone. Yeah, like uh, someone we've actually had on the show, and we're going to have on we're actually going to interview her uh, next weekend. Uh, one, she does a lot of research with uh, crocodilian uh, parasitology. Okay, and she's actually found some really interesting stuff, like uh, some parasites in alligators uh, actually help them uh, filter out uh, heavy metal poisoning. Oh, okay, yeah. The like, uh, parasite will actually filter the heavy metals out of their blood system and metabolize it. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's see that that's amazing stuff. And that like that stuff shed the light and that should open everyone's eyes to, to that element of whether it's wild animals, captive animals, you know, the stuff I also like to tell people is like these animals live completely fine in the wild with parasites. Now, granted captivity is way different than the wild, right? Yeah. But the reason parasites will, will have a negative effect on any animal it's stress. 
You're immune yeah. compromised, the parasites take over and you're good to go. So that's why we say like, just keep it, like leave stuff alone. You get it in, give it the proper setup, keep it simple, but keep it stress-free. It's the stress that really wreaks havoc on the animal via the parasite. Um, if you start, you know, people buy stuff, they just want to mess with it, hold it, show their friends right away. And it's, it's not, not the way to do things for very, like, especially for like, you know, certain fragile animals are just not going to adjust well to that. And, and again, yeah, they, these things live no problem for the most part in the wild with them. And they have a lot more to deal with out there. So, so parasites aren't, aren't a death sentence for any animal, whether you treat them or not, it's more of how you're keeping things that's going to kind of mitigate any issue they may have. Now, sometimes they're loaded and you're like, you should treat them. But again, yeah. it's going to be different for every animal. And um, it's just good to monitor personally, you know, what's going on through your own experience and your own knowledge of what the next move should be. Yeah. So uh, that's what your uh, thoughts are for mostly, I'm guessing for mostly like internal, uh, like intestinal uh, yeah. parasites. So we'll, yeah. do you, you apply the same thing for mites or mites a completely different animal? Well, mites, yeah. So mites can, like, we can, we can prevent, um, I guess, proactively treat, or if anything comes in with it, treating for mites is very simple. And there's really very little risk um, in, in treating for mites the right way. So if it doesn't have them, we really won't do anything. But oftentimes mites are just kind of part of the territory. And that actually comes in from captive animals too. They're in collections, you know. Yeah. They're, they're in, you know, facilities everywhere you go. So that's something we deal with. We don't even look at that as, as anything that bad. You just treat them, treat them the right way. Those things are gone in a couple of weeks, the animals unharmed, you know? Yeah. But they're a pain. They suck. I mean, it's annoying. Yeah. You know what I mean? But yeah, some mean, people think of them as like the worst thing in the world, but they're not. They're just annoying. It's, yeah. You clean out the whole room, whole building and, you think you're good to go, and then two weeks later, oh yeah, and then something else has them. around. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a vicious, you know, cycle of like, well, I got rid of them from this one. Now this one has it. What do I do here? And you spend weeks and weeks just like losing sleep and freaking out over what's going to get it next. It's tough. I mean, they they do run rampant, but again, it's not not the worst thing in the world. Yeah, yeah, it could be something like nidovirus, something like that. So yeah, now that I, yeah, that or crypto. That's what that's when you really want to lose sleep over what's going on. Um, but mites, that's, that's child's play compared to those types of viruses. Yeah. Uh, so have you ever had any issues with, uh, crypto or NIDO or any other? No, not that, I mean, not that we know of and not that we've ever had reported back to us. Um, again, some of those viruses are really, so, so NIDO is much more specific to Pythons. certain, yeah. And, and we've had, we've had no, no complaints or, or, or not found that in anything or even really signs of it of anything that um, would lead us to believe so again nidovirus is something that can stay dormant for a while you know yeah. and so you don't really know crypto is another kind of a it's a parasite it's kind of a weird um element you know, but again nothing that I, I know of to my knowledge has has come through and, and caused any problems um that's <laughs> thank thankfully yeah yeah you know yeah I have heard horror stories about uh, someone bringing in an animal that ran just randomly had, and then it just runs rampant through an entire collection. So, yeah, like crypto spread, crypto spreads like crazy. From my from my knowledge and what I've heard is it spreads like crazy. And they say, you know, you find something with it, you just 
put that thing in the freezer. It's a, it's kind of hard to, you know, hard to imagine it's doing to an animal that seemingly is healthy, but, but yeah, like you really probably should. Cause that's a problem. Yeah. Um, so I also, yep. On your website, you have an entire tab dedicated to uh green tree pythons. You want to go yeah. a little bit at all or. Yeah. Green trees are awesome. You know, it's kind of like, you know, a different version of, of emeralds, but they're a little more variable and yeah. they're a little smaller than, than emeralds and they do really well too. But we, um, that's such a popular animal and that to, for the right person is like, again, awesome display animal. You're not going to do too much handling with those because they're pretty nippy. Um, some are pretty cool, some different locales, but for the most part, those are the ones you just kind of leave alone, make an awesome setup. And I mean, they, they only, they don't need to eat like a Calubra. They, you know, once every, an adult, once every three, four weeks, maybe. Um, and again, they come in different crazy color, not crazy colors, but unique colors that are really pretty. And, um, and we always love getting those in and, and hooking people up with those because it's a, such a beautiful animal. And, um, just the way they curl around a branch is awesome. And they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're awesome. So we get, yeah, we decided to dedicate a, a tab just to it, but we don't get them as much anymore. Those, that's another animal right there that you could bring in by the dozens a couple of years ago. And now you get like two or three a shipment. Huh? Yeah. So, uh, for your overseas providers or do you like have like direct contact, like farms or personal collectors or is it just, yeah. Like so yeah, for the most part, it's, it's direct contact people that we've just established relationships with from the beginning. Um, or it's a contact maybe through somebody who's, who's been nice enough to lend that contact to us and people that have been there and said, Hey, these are good people. These, they know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, so we have, we have direct contact with, with most of them and, um, we've had really good luck with it. We did. Some of them are, when we very first started, we definitely got scammed. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was actually through a recommendation that was a legitimate provider. It just, something went wrong and. We did not ever see animals come through, but they did see money come from us. Eh. But whatever, you live and you learn, and that's that's how that works. So, down payment rests after delivery. Yeah, right. Hey, can I get some of that money back? That or the animals? Like, sorry, you have reached. I'm like, damn. Well, there you go. But, no longer active. Yeah, exactly. Like this, this phone has been disconnected. I'm like, okay, well, I get it. But there's a lot of horror stories like that through through that people have dealt with. Um, so I'm not the first and I won't be the last, but it, um, it's humbling. You know, you kind of, you started, you're like, Oh, no problem. Here's some money that send us a bunch of that stuff. Then you don't get anything, any, anything, you're like, okay, well, I know not to deal with them again. Yeah. Uh, so with, uh, importing, I'm guessing you have to have like a federal wildlife permit and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. That's a U.S. fish and wildlife permit. Um, that you get and you, you that allows you know the import export you renew that every year um let them know like where you bring in from and every, I, we don't we don't export anything that's that's like really kind of complicated pain um but yeah that's a that's a federal permit that that allows you to do that okay um so um uh what's your take on this uh, whole uh u.s competes act that's kind of been the uproar in the hurt community for the past few yeah months. that's like the uh the banning of like almost everything type Pretty, of thing. Well, i think it's more like this giving like uh fish and wildlife the ability to just ban anything on wind more or less but 
Yeah. So obviously, I mean, I don't agree with it. I, unfortunately, I think people like us are just, we're like, we're handcuffed. I, you know, these, they're just going to do what they want, you know, and that yeah. sucks. It's a sad thing, but they, you know, it's all about money. It's all about who's paying who. And there's very few times in the history of, of animal legislation is there data to back up a law. You know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a truth. I mean, sometimes there is, and it's, it's valuable and it's valid, but some of the stuff they ban or they regulate, there's nothing in, in, in near history or far history that says like that you should do that, or there shouldn't be some sort of a process that allows you to own it if you go through it to, to the extent of like, you know, right now, Florida is like a, like a war zone for, <laughs> for legislation. Awesome. And it's crazy. I mean, they're, they're outlaw, you know, they're outlawing stuff that really, you know, there's not a great reason to do it, or there's not a ton of data to, to back it up. You know, I would get if there's, if there's evidence behind, you know, the iguana ban, like, they're really just not, I mean, they're there, they're going to be there, they're in the wild, like, for people who want to own an iguana, like, not really causing any problems. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if anything, if right now, the way it is, an iguana breeder would be like a a trickle in a torrent in terms of the yeah. population down there. Right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, those guys look around like, do you guys see everything else going on <laughs> that yeah. you can be regulating or the problems that are here? I mean, you could talk about like, I live there. You want to talk about a problem. You talk about cats. Yeah. I mean, I was cats about to are, say. dude, they're all over the place. I mean, they're everywhere and they're just ripping apart birds and rodents. You're like, okay, well, I mean, I see a lot more cats than I see Burmese pythons crossing the road. Yeah. And especially in iguana, this is like, what do they do? Just get in someone's hibiscus or something? Or Yeah, they, I mean, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they ruin your garden. But you know what? Deer ruin your garden, too, up here. Yeah. You know, totally. it's like, I mean, granted, people don't own deer as pets. But nevertheless, these are the types of things that are pretty benign in the world of, of keeping reptiles. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I just, I would need more evidence behind some of these laws that made me believe it, it was worth it or... Because you're again, you make these laws. You're taking, taking people's livelihoods, people who breed these for a living, and you're like, oh, by the way, you can't do that, even though this is what you do for a living. You got to find something else. You know, you know, they say, well, why are you doing that? And they say, oh, we just pretty much want to. Yeah. And that's that's unfortunate because we're just kind of a casualty of that war. Like we, we can speak up and we can go to these court hearings, but they typically don't do much. You know, it's going to pass if they really want it to pass. Um, luckily, some of these things that have come up haven't passed, but they're always just going to resurface and annoy the hell out of people like us. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, let's see here. So, uh, if uh, people want to reach out and get in, find it, find your store, how would they uh, do that? Well, uh, I mean, we have a website, Sat2 Reptiles and Aquatics, um, and that's got the info for for contacting via email. We have two locations. They're about they're in the same vicinity, but you can go to either one and get pretty much the same stuff at either one. Uh, but we're open seven days a week, so you can always contact us or get a, get a, get a hold of us. So, um, yeah, and the, you know, the stores are a cool spot to go see some some cool stuff, even if you know you're not buying anything. You got some cool stuff. All right. Well, I uh, think that just about does it for this episode. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the uh, opportunity. All right, it's been a pleasure. All right, Nate. See you, buddy.